Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the Managing Director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the Sendcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. We aim the podcast at teachers and schools, but it actually helps all professionals working with children or young people their CND. And we also know from feedback that it benefits parents and carers of all children. This week, I have Abigail Hawkins as my guest. Abigail is an SEN consultant and runs Sensible Senko, which is a community on Facebook that is so much more. And this week, we're discussing a topic that always comes up on social media, and that is who goes on the SEN register. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make, and we can show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress for pupils working out of their year group, we can help. Did you know you can also use B Squared assessment software for more than just your SEM pupils? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money. And it also simplifies the whole assessment and data process. Visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me and to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing how to survive Christmas with children, young people with SEND. It might be a bit early when you're listening to it. Christmas might seem a mile away, but it's going to come quickly. My guest this week is one of our regular guests, Sarah Jane Critchley from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah Jane was previously the Programme Manager for the Autism Education Trust, where she commissioned the AET's School Standards and Competency Frameworks. A key element of this section was on enabling environments which looked specifically at sensory adjustments. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Hello, Dale. Hello, everybody. Lovely to speak to you today. So as well as all that autism education trust, you are also a parent of a, your daughter has, is autistic, isn't she? Absolutely. So I'm the proud parent of two autistic adults now. So I have both a son and a daughter, both of whom are grown up scarily now. But we've had some very interesting Christmases along the way, and I'm going to share some of those stories with you today. So Christmas is obviously lots of fun, lots going on, lots of noise, lots of light, lots of smells, but it's, it isn't fun for everyone, is it? Sorry, sorry, you said fun? Fun? Did you say fun? Definitely, it <laughs> is a rule. You have a def- different definition of fun, I think, <laughs> to a lot of people. So the first point I wanted to share really with everybody there is that Christmas isn't always fun. Not everybody loves Christmas. Not everybody celebrates Christmas. For some people, it is a version of living hell and they loathe and detest every single moment of it from October onwards. And we are in a multicultural society as well, so I'm going to slip a bit of that in and remind people that not everybody celebrates Christmas. We have lots of other cultures around us and it's not such a big thing for other people. So the... The schools go a bit mad celebrating Christmas, and so I'm talking to you as teachers as well, so we'll talk about how you can make that easier. But also the shops go absolutely insane the minute the school holidays finish, <laughs> and we're gonna, it's going to start now. <laughs> but as I, you say that, we went to Costco on August the 31st, 
and they had Christmas trees out. They had oh. Christmas decorations for the shops to buy and the businesses to buy ready. So August the 31st, I saw my first Christmas tree all lit up. Okay. I'm sure that is delightful. And I do know one fantastic autistic young woman whose favourite time of the year is Christmas. In fact, she would have Christmas dinner every single day if she could. So you can't make assumptions about everything. No. At any time, you know, if you have an assumption, you're bound, bound to be wrong. <laughs> you have to check every time. And one of the things that I want to pick up on first is that I'm very aware that for teachers and for parents, and for children, there's kind of this ramping up of stress and anxiety the closer and closer and closer that you get. So you kind of come back from the summer, and if you're lucky, you've had a lovely summer. Some people haven't. You know, some people have found it really difficult. And then you kind of get back into the, oh, we're back into a new term, we're started, and I know that's where some people will be thinking about still struggling from and bearing the scars of when they listen to the podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of... you. Lots of our young people get in and they work really hard. They try really hard to cope with a new teacher, a new environment, a new class, being in a new place. Maybe they're learning new subjects. Maybe it's there with new friend groups. And then they try really hard, try really hard, try really hard, try really hard and do it for weeks. And then that period after half term, so the first half term or the first term one, as we're now in a sixth term year, and we're into term two or what I used to call the second half term of autumn term, because I'm old fashioned. And then the amount of effort that they put in to coping with all that change, to coping with new people, to coping with new routines, kind of accumulates. It builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And their energy levels go down and down and down and down. So they actually hit this wonderful, quote, fun, unquote, Christmas period at the time when they have the least possible capacity to deal with it. Yes, because the October half term, which is you could rest, we have bonfire nights, we have Halloween. So that's a busy period on its own. So it's not like they get a week just to chill out and relax. No, we're doing stuff then as well. So, yeah, they come straight out of that. And you've seen the shops. It's, it's literally as soon as Halloween's out of the way, straight back to Christmas, and it is full on all the way through. Yeah, and it gets a bit much, and it was really interesting because I was talking to my children about what they'd loved and what they hated about Christmas. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to share their perspective as well, and they give me permission to do that. And one of the things that my daughter said was that they spent all their time absorbing the stress from everybody else. So not knowing what to do with it or how to handle it or how to manage it, they're actually absorbing the stress from family members and from teachers who are not only trying to manage all the new things that are changing in school and in classes and all the extra topic stuff they have to do for Christmas and all the concerts and all the lovely dibbly-doos and the dangly-wanglies and all of that stuff. They also have homes to manage and lives to manage on top, so they're going to get more stressed. And then you've got the possibility of family members, and we'll come on to that later. Trust me, we'll go into that in a bit more detail. And you've got all of that kind of coming together and Great Auntie Doris is coming to visit or you've got to go and visit Great Auntie Doris. And, and all of that makes the adults in their lives stressed. And lots of our young people we send are very good at understanding and feeling the emotion, but not necessarily knowing what to do with it. So that's the context within which we're going to have this discussion. 
So yes, lovely, wonderful, beautiful, sparkly, nice to have something in the middle of the year, but not everybody feels that way. No. And the, the family and is a bigger challenge because you as a family, you as your parents and children might adapt your interpretation of Christmas. You might change your interpretation. You might do things slightly differently. You find this works better. But as soon as you add in other families, you have to do the the, the correct way of doing Christmas. No, you don't. Actually. Yes, you do, because you have to. And otherwise, you're just not right. And it's not right. And you're ruining my Christmas. <laughs> there are things that you can do that will make that conversation easier to have. And we'll come on to those in a little bit, because I've got some really tangible ideas and some tools that you can use that will make life so much less stressful for you. you don't know, I'd love to give you a helpful, stressful tool, a helpful tool to reduce your stress and your anxiety and make your life easier. So the first thing I wanted to talk about when we're thinking about Christmas is why is it a challenge? Because otherwise, if you don't understand why it's a bit of a challenge, you just think, oh, for heaven's sake, why are you being so difficult about something that's supposed to be wonderful? So let's just talk for a minute about why that might be difficult. So the first thing that is often quite challenging for lots of our human people is losing all the normal that they had losing all the structure that they had, losing all the routine that they had, and that period in the run-up to Christmas that seems to start in September, there's less and less actual learning that goes on and not having the thing that they've been told is really, really important that they must not miss a day and then all of a sudden it's, I know, the Grinch who stole Christmas or Finding Nemo or whatever it is, seems to take precedence and the learning isn't as important all of a sudden. Hmm. And don't underestimate the impact of going into an English lesson. Instead of doing English, you're watching Finding Nemo, or you're going into Spanish and watching Finding Nemo in Spanish as a fun way of doing something at Christmas. That does sound fun to some people. It sounds like I've got out of a lesson. Are we not doing anything? But for others, it's like, what was the point of me even going to school today? Especially if they struggle with attendance and they've been told they have to be there. The inconsistency of the message is difficult. But I have to tell you that my two were very happy to have time with the film. That was a really good day for them. They felt that was perfectly okay, but they'd rather have had more learning, actually. My, my daughter is the same. She literally, she's, she'll go into this, she goes, why, what's the point? What? She'll go in and she'll do it, but she's like, what's the point? What are we doing? Yeah. And then there's the fact that, Christmas tends to take over everything. So if it was just in selective lessons where it was relevant, so maybe in English you're talking about a Christmas carol and you're using that. It's about Christmas, but there are lots of really good learning you can do by studying Charles Dickens. Then that's relevant. That makes sense. That's still learning, and it's learning that's consistent with the goals that you've told them are really important. But when you end up doing Christmas stuff that doesn't relate to the topic in any way, then that makes it much harder for people to kind of get their heads around why that should work. So it kind of feels like there's no escape from it. And if it's something you love, 
That's brilliant. That's wonderful. If it's your special interest, yay. <laughs> Fantastic. Talk about Christmas type sweets and how the packaging changes or whatever, you know, or do maths based on how many chocolate bars you can get in the selection box. And is that cheaper than buying them individually? Or are you getting a discount? You know, there are things you can do in terms of learning that are based on things that you see around you. Fine. Brilliant. But if you hate it, that's just going to make everything worse. And there's no time off from that. And we do have to bear in mind that for some people, Christmas is not a happy time. Some people have trauma attached to Christmas because of things that they've gone through in their lives. The last couple of years have been particularly difficult. And we have talked on the podcast about bereavement and about having lost loved ones. And Christmas is a particularly difficult time for anybody who's gone through that. So for some people, it isn't wonderful, joyful, it's painful and difficult. And we just need to be sensitive to the fact that whoever we are, we rock up into a room bringing all of our experience with us and we won't always tell you what that is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've I've experienced being at a party, New Year's Eve, and then someone bursting into tears. You're like, what's wrong? And then she explains and you're like, had no idea. And you just kind of sit there and go, this isn't just a one-off. This is one-off for me seeing this, but this is her Christmas every year that she comes to this day. And that's why I think that's when her dad left. Mm. So New Year's Eve, her dad left. So now every New Year's Eve is the anniversary of her dad leaving her. Mm. So, yeah, so lots there can be lots of trauma linked to Christmas. So that's not great. No. The rules change around Christmas. And for those of us who like a rule and like to observe a rule and will sometimes tell other people of the rules that they should be observing, yeah. those changing willy-nilly with no warning isn't a good thing. So if a rule exists for a reason, then there has to be a really good reason for changing it and you might have to explain what that is. Don't just change it with no explanation. It's not that things can never change, it's just that they have to have something that makes them make sense. And those rules can be as simple as, as when you go to bed, when you get up. If you're, a, if you're one of the families where everyone has two weeks off, so you're all at home for two weeks, your mum's at home for two weeks, and it is, it's two weeks off, then your, mor- your, your morning, your breakfast can change. Your, when you wake up, when you go to bed, all those things can change. And it's, oh, what we just, you can have more fun breakfast. How is that bad? It's like, it's not the breakfast I normally have or normally want. You haven't asked me what I want. You've given me a fun, in air quotes, breakfast, but that's not what I was expecting. It might not be what I like. So change isn't always bad. We had a rule that one of the things that we did specifically for Christmas Day and for Easter Sunday, they were the only two days of the year that the children were allowed chocolate for breakfast. Because there were chocolates in their selection boxes and in their stockings, and I just thought I'm not going to care about whether they don't eat some nutritious breakfast cereal because it's just not going to happen anyway. So I'm going to let go of that one, and those are the two days that they're allowed to eat chocolate for breakfast. Nice. Special rule. They liked it. That's the thing. If you want to do that fun thing, if you want to do that, it's giving them the choice. Hmm. That's 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 a simple thing. Or just even a pre-warning of, right, is this what we want for breakfast this week? 
giving them a choice might be slightly overwhelming. You can give them various, rather than giving them an open-ended, give them a couple of options. But they've got that element of choice and they know that tomorrow morning when I come down, that's my breakfast. That's great. I know I've chosen. Life is simpler that way. Absolutely. So the other thing we were thinking about is that often food is different. Food is a big thing. So if you're somebody who has a restricted diet or you have particular things you like and love, you do not have to have a standard Christmas dinner if that isn't what your family members eat or like at all. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't offer it as an option. If you love it, then by all means make it for you, but make something different for them, and that's okay. And I know that's a complete pain in the rear for those of us who don't like cooking multiple meals, and, you know, that's a whole stress on its own. But if you want to have a peaceful, relaxed Christmas without people freaking out and feeling hungry and hangry because they're hungry and angry because they haven't had what they normally get, then just give them what they normally have. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good enough for them to eat normally. It's good enough for them to eat on Christmas Day. And I just want to go here is, is as a family, as a parent, working out what is it I'm aiming for, yeah? Yeah. Am I aiming for the Christmas I've just seen on that Tesco advert? Yeah. You know those Christmas adverts where everything is so rosy and perfect and you're going, that's what I want. Yeah. They had the big turkey. They had this. They had, yeah. You're kind of picking up, to me, you're kind of picking up the wrong thing. The thing is you're together and having fun. And what your meal, what how you eat it, everything about that can be, completely different but you can have that same experience of fun you just have to go what is it going to look like for my family and make those changes absolutely and i actually think we should design our own christmas so we actually sit down sat down a few years ago and said what makes a good christmas for me and what do i want to have and each family member said what made it good for them And we built that into a new Christmas ritual for us, one that made sense for us. And it was the things that we loved to do. So one of our Christmas rituals, which is really helpful for loads of people, is we've talked about how stressful the run-up can be and how it can be really difficult getting to the end of term. And I know lots of teachers are very aware that young people just run out of steam and they're frazzled and everybody gets really scratchy. The first day of the holidays, of every holiday, when my kids were at school, was always a pyjama day. So no one had to get up, no one had to be anywhere, do anything, do any social at all. No expectations. Do what you like. There's food in the fridge. You know, it will be vaguely healthy-ish because that's just the sort of stuff I shove in the fridge. Whether they choose to pick any of it or not is a different issue, but, you know, that's what's in the fridge. And they can just have a day to relax. It's like an air gap between the keeping going and keeping going and keeping going. And actually, we can now think about what we'd like to do in our time. Yes. That is, that is, that is definitely needed, that pyjama day. It is, because you have children who mask and they come home at the end of the day, they might have an hour or two to unwind. We're literally doing that. They're trying to unwind from an entire term or two terms, if it's the new way of doing it. In new money, not old money. So let's just think for a minute about the sort of religious things that happen. So both my kids went to 
to C of E schools. So that is a whole range of extra <laughs> in terms of in comparison to non church schools and obviously depending on the religion that you're in you'll have different routines and different things that you observe but for us in our experience it was quite difficult so my son described how there were people who were not c of e who church of england who were stuck in a hall with nothing to do and teachers just sat there looking at them not great learning not a great way of including them not a great way of sharing expertise and understanding, but there should be no expectation that they should have to conform with a religious observance that they don't have. You know, that's fair and reasonable. But it did, it was exclusionary. It didn't really make sense. So that was a bit tricky. The other thing that was really tricky is that if you have somebody who is a really deep thinker, and we have lots of SEN kids who are really, really deep thinkers and nonconformists in a whole host of different ways. Um, they really get alienated by this whole let's all stand in the same place, even being squashed together closer than we normally are, all screeching hymns in our own tune and our own key, loudly at each other. If that isn't what they understand, and then there feels like there's no way of explaining or rationalising or having a conversation. There needs to be a space wherein you can have that conversation that's wider. I actually felt I needed the Archbishop of Canterbury on speed dial for my two. <laughs> kind of, can you just explain about the dinosaurs again, please? But that's the thing is, I think, it, I don't think some relevance, yeah? So we're learning about Jesus. We're learning about this. We're learning about... It was like, okay, but what's this really? Well, it says this in the Bible. Okay, but do we do this anywhere else? Does it? Did it really happen? Well, did it? What's this? And it kind of just, you sit there going, I don't understand it. And why am I singing about three kings of Orient are one in a taxi, one in a car? One in a scooter beeping his hooter passing through Perry Bar. That's well, the one we had. Smoking a fat cigar from, my, from <laughs> okay. where I lived. But yeah, so it's, you're literally going, I don't, why? What are we doing? For me, it was just, I like relevance. I like understanding. I, I know dinosaurs existed. I know this happened. It's, so he was born on this day. Well, not really. We just think that's when he was born. So why are we doing it? You just, you get less concrete the more questions you ask, I feel. So there are ways of doing comparative religion and doing it in a respectful way, even for very young children, that allows people who have a firm belief to express their belief and to feel supported in that, but doesn't alienate people whose beliefs are different and who come from a different religious or emotional standpoint or humanist standpoint or whatever, or agnostic standpoint or atheist standpoint. It's, it allows the potential. And one of the best things I saw in one of the schools I visited was around philosophy for primary age children. And that was actually teaching them ways of thinking and teaching them ways of actually comparing different ways of thought in a way that was very straightforward. And I think that's a really lovely thing to do. So I think it, it's fine, but we just need to be aware that that is sometimes things that some of our young people are really wrestling with. And it, I think it's a lovely thing to respect that they have the capacity to do that. Because we need that diversity of thought. We need that way of thinking about things. But it's, as a parent, I have to share with you our experience of a crib service. We went to a lovely crib service. 
took them to crib services every year when they were little. They were very. This isn't was them as an adult, by the way. This is them as very small children, primary, possibly even lower. And we went to the crib service in our local very high C of E service. At which point, my two who had were at the edge of completely losing the plot decided to have a full-on scrap in front of the baby Jesus. <laughs> it was just, there we were. And the the priest, who was absolutely lovely father, I can't even remember what his son his father, basically picked them up and lifted them out of the group and put them at a separate size because he was a trained teacher. It was fantastic. And I could have wished that the world, the whole would have opened up right in front of me so I could disappear. It was just, please don't bite in front of the baby. Jesus is not the done thing. No. That's the thing is, I think you do, you take your kids, especially when they're young, to all these things. You go to the carol service. You go to the Chris Dingles. That's just a bit, I get a bit lost. And then my daughter going, why have we got a candle in an orange? <laughs> I'm going, I don't know. But you have these things, and I think up to a certain point, they they will kind of come along with you, and then when they really start questioning it, you're going to have to go, we might have to give this one a skip. <laughs> so I quite like this one. Chris Dingle's service, and those friends amongst us who are familiar and observant Christians would be able to explain the derivation of it. It's basically to do with God loving the world and putting a ribbon around it. So the orange is, a, is the world and the ribbon is supposed to be God's love and the light is the light. Which is right. Best. So basically, I think I'm free to be corrected, but I think that's what it was, roughly. Please don't quote me on that. Feel free to add any comments <laughs> to put us straight. It's better than I don't know. Well, <laughs> That's all I could give. That's all I can remember. So how on earth you get through those sort of things without having a parental meltdown to add to your children's meltdowns is a useful thing to know. So it is really handy to take something with you that you know will ground them and make them safe and secure and calm. So in my daughter's case, that would be paper and pens. So she would draw or she would write or she would do something and therefore not look as if she was paying attention to it. And she would actually be paying more attention to it than if she had to sit there pretending to look straight at it (laughs) because that was never happening. So pens, notebooks, things they can read quietly, toys they can play with quietly, anything they can do with quietly. Um, We did have a minor issue with one church we went to because my son (laughs) was dressed as a a soldier and he was very upset because he wasn't allowed to take a sword into church. (laughs) <laughs> he said, soldiers carry swords. Why can't I take a sword into church? To say, well, expressing violence in a place of God is not a good move, boy, but this is why. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of, there's a whole thing you can do in terms of preparing and explaining, but some of these things just trip you up along the way. We thought we they were do. providing him with an entire outfit that was appropriate, including a wooden by the way, wooden, not metal sword with no sharp edges, you know. <laughs> safe, nice and safe. Yeah, no, safe. Have you ever seen Some what children do with each other with bits of pointy wood? Yes. Not so safe, but yeah, okay. So we thought we were providing the right thing that was kind of historically accurate if wooden, but no, that wasn't it. 
So that kind of leads me on to what you can do that will actually really help. So it's all about structure. It's all about preparation. And this applies in school and at home. So the things that you can do are thinking, having a calendar on your fridge that says what's happening where, and then having further information that goes with that to say, for the crib service, you will be wearing this really unusual gown that you've never worn before in your life, but we're going to make sure it's a material you can tolerate. Yes. <laughs> Not when you can't. So thinking about what your child can actually cope with, what costume they can cope with, rather than the one that you bought that's got the scratchy thread in that actually is going to make them feel really uncomfortable and cause a meltdown if they hadn't got one before. Avoiding shiny stuff, avoiding scratchy stuff, keeping to soft stuff if you can. There's something lovely about having visuals that you can use. So sometimes these are just storybooks. You can have social stories about how a particular service runs. Those are brilliant if you've got somebody who can write those really well, and they do have to be written well. And I'm fairly sure they don't say have a strap in front of baby Jesus. It's kind of, if you feel you're about to hit your sister, please stand up and walk away. Yes. <laughs> that sort of thing. And if you have somebody who's really struggling and you're in a service, you can even take a now then board with you. So there's wonderful little white boards that you can buy from pan shops. That you have a line in the middle. One side says now, the other side says then. You do a picture of now with a, a cross on it on one side. Now church, then hot chocolate. afterwards so you say this will finish and this is what comes next so you're making it predictable you're making it reliable and you're telling them what's going to happen next yeah and i like the idea of the timetable i also like the fact mentioning clothing because sometimes they are going to wear costumes Mm. but sometimes you will sit there and go you'll need to wear trousers you can't wear that short skirt you love you need to wear something more appropriate and having sometimes having that calendar, we're going to do this. And so they can see, and they can come and look at that when it suits them. Cause I found with my daughter, I can say things two or three times. It's the third time she's starting to pick up what's going on. So having it as a visual timetable, also trying to help understand we are going here and it's going to be this long and we'll reward you for putting up with that, with the hot chocolate at the end. But what my expectations of you there. So whether or not you can stick your headphones in on your Walkman or CD player or phone and just listen to music. That's going to make me sound really old saying Walkman. <laughs> I don't know why I went for that first. But stick your headphones in and listen to your music. Or are you going to have to pay attention and look like you're paying attention? It's those expect. There's sometimes you sit there and go, oh, I'll just go do that. I said, wherever we go, I just sit in the corner with my headphones on. It's like, well, no, actually, in this situation, you can't. So I like that idea of having a calendar. And hang almost like they put up with this hot chocolate afterwards and things like that, so that they can go. It's not all horrible. There is something good after, and that's the thing. I'm saying the word horrible, challenging. It's not necessarily horrible, but it is challenging. No, that thing. It's not. And you might be going, "This is amazing," but they might not be viewing it that way. And I always use horrible because I just go to the other extent of enjoyment. But it is challenging. And that's the thing is you may view it one way, your child may not. And it's, that's the important thing is you may love this, but why do you love it? Is it because it reminds you of your childhood? It's something you've always done. Is it you see your friends there? Is it other families are there? What is it giving you? Is it giving your child the same? Yeah. And I think one of the other things that's really useful to think about is why we're doing it. So some things are optional, some things are not optional in life generally. 
And it's good to explain why you're doing the thing you're proposing to do and who is going to be there and what they're going to be doing. So instead of being the, we've got to turn up at church at 10 o'clock and we'll be out of it by 11.15, you can have a hot chocolate then, but we've no idea what's happening in the middle. You can do the, we're going to be at church at 10 a.m. Then there'll be this bit of the service that lasts till here. Then there'll be children's church where you go out and you'll get biscuits and have a story and some drawing. And then you come back in and you'll rejoin for the last bit and we'll pick you up and go home. And you'll be with this week, Julia, or you'll be with this week, Lynn, or you'll be with this week, somebody else. Now, trying to find somewhere where you actually know who the volunteer is going to be on that day. But you can ask because there will be a rotor. Yes. (laughs) There is always a rotor. It's one of the standard things of the Church of England. If you go anywhere near a church, you'll be on a rotor in no time. So, you know, it's a good thing that you can ask and people generally will try and do the best they can if you tell them what you need. But they won't always know. And churches do try to be inclusive, but they don't always know how to do that. No. So it's worth asking for what you know will make a difference if it's important to you that you go. Definitely. Now, the other thing I did want to talk to you about is schools and church services. So there's the whole, we're going to go and have our Christmas service in the church because we're a church school, which means we have to do new travel. So we have to be somewhere we don't normally go with everyone in our class, in a crocodile, in the rain, and some of us have issues with cold and wet. And then we'll have to be somewhere in the church, but we're not sure which pews we're going to be in. The order of those may change and you may end up being the one person who sat right next to the teacher because you're the one person who will be jumping up and down and trying to poke the person next to you because actually you can't sit still that long. <laughs> it's kind of a, so there are a whole host of things that happen in that run-up that we really need to think through. So even if a school's doing a brilliant job of making all the accommodations for the normal times of year, the normal things, we need to think about how we can roll those over Special days, different times, different timetables. So it's not kind of, oh, but it's Christmas, so we don't need to make that reasonable adjustment anymore. It's, oh, boy, it's Christmas. How do we make that reasonable adjustment now, knowing we're going to be in a different environment and it's echoey and you're going to be crammed in with people closer and actually maybe you can't cope with having someone close. And if you have a child who fidgets and has one of those wobble boards things they sit on, is does that work on a pew? Are you taking it with you? If it doesn't work on a pew, is there another seat that can be brought in so they can sit on that and be on there? So do they have fidget toys? Can you take that there? Because the thing is, if you're used to children sitting on their chair and they've got that amount they can move and relax and it doesn't really disturb anyone, but now you're on one single wooden seat with 10 other children and the teacher and it's an, it's not soft, it doesn't fit right, it's a bit on my back – you're already on an uphill struggle from there. And there will be some people who would be much better at the end of a row or on a quiet pew on their own or, you know, just to the side a bit, actually, where it's a bit less overwhelming, where they can yeah. still be there, they can still participate, they can still join in, but they're not being crammed in and forced to be in a much worse situation than they would have been normally. And often there's a whole practice thing that goes on as well. <laughs> so you kind of... You think, okay, so maybe the thing is going to happen on Thursday and the practice will be Tuesday and we'll do another practice on Wednesday morning. 
those have to be timetables so that they're predictable yeah. and reliable and you know when they're going to happen. But there is one thing that can often really, really help if you've got somebody who is very based and they need to be doing something, give them a job. Give them a job to do that means that they can move around. Are they the people who can hand out the song sheets? Are they the people who can walk the microphone round from one person to another to another to another if you've got different people reading out different bits of a prayer or the service or whatever? Are they the person who can do that? Uh, can they be the person who can manage the sound? If they're really sound sensitive and they're very aware and tuned to that, are they responsible enough to be able to manage that so that it doesn't hurt other people as well? Because they may be sensitive to it and that means that they're really good at doing that. Do you have parents involved, which means there's always a collection bowl comes out at the end. Can they pay attention? I know at this moment I have to go up and do collection because if they have to do that, they'll be paying attention. They've got to jump up at that point and go do this bit. So, there's, yeah, there's lots of little things you can do. And lots of these things cost nothing. You know, they're, they're low intervention. You just kind of have to get your head around it and think, what is going to make this experience work for this young person? And it has to be on an individual one-by-one one basis. And there is, in a church, there's a whole sensory joy going on because it can be very echoey, it can be cold, it can be drafty. If you've got a church which has a proper organ, all that is very loud. So you might have a booming voice, you might have an amplifier, as you said, you've got the mic going around, everything's much louder. There's... They're very visually, churches are very busy. For me, I go into church when I with my kids, and I'm literally I'm looking at stained glass windows, I'm looking at all the wood, I'm looking. There's so much going on. So for me, visually, there's lots going on. So I can easily get distracted. So there's a whole sensory world to take into account, which as a teacher you have no control over. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with using headphones, with using ear blocking headphones, and you can get earbuds that you can buy that just slot in that don't have sound they just take the volume down by about 20 hertz or 40 hertz depending on which version you put in uh, that just mean that it's that bit less overwhelming and so you can still be there you can still participate and it can make life easier i wanted to talk to you just a little bit about those children who get very anxious about talking in public so there will be some people who live to read the lesson, you know, they're there and they're performing and they absolutely love it and they read it beautifully. And then there will be those who really would much rather you didn't ask them to do that. Yes. So we need to think about who would be really good at that and who would enjoy doing that, but not automatically assume that it's going to be the same people who do it all the time. And also, it's that a lot of schools will just go, I've got 30 children, they all need to say something. Do they need to? Is it important for that child and their parent for them to speak? Or are they? is the child going to be dreading it? And is the parent watching their child dreading it, hating it? It might seem lovely that everyone gets a chance, but sometimes that's not always the right thing. Absolutely. Can they do? Can they be up there, but doing something else? Can they be holding a picture? Can they be doing something else rather than actually speaking? 
One of the loveliest examples I saw was when uh, there was an end of term play and some of the young people didn't want to perform. They didn't want to be on stage. They didn't want to have a role. And some of them were the ones doing, sharing the OHP. God, that shows how old I am. When they had this projector, it would be an interactive whiteboard now. They'd be controlling the interactive whiteboard with the words for the group songs. And they'd be the person managing the sound and they'd be the person doing the costumes and they'd be the person doing the, making sure that the, the, what do you call those curtain things, making sure that curtains worked or that the prompts were there or that the, the donkey or the two people who were making the donkey <laughs> were actually yeah. in the right place at the right time. Or they'd be somebody accompanying on a musical instrument because that's what they loved. You know, and that's not, there's lots. The donkey is, if they can be hidden, yeah? So being a donkey is often quite a good one because you can't see them and they can be hidden inside. Or So, yeah, sometimes having a, a character where you cannot see out or is hidden, that can help. Cause they're, they're, they're there, but they're not really – it's not them there. Because there's lots of ways of managing those really quite tricky events in a way that actually gives an experience to a young person they might not have had otherwise. It gives them a chance to explore things that they're really good at and it gives them a chance to grow in their confidence because they participate in something that everyone else has had a chance to do. And that can be a beautiful thing. So it's not always sort of, oh, I don't want to do that performance, so I'm going to be away that day. We, and that's the one thing we don't want. We want to enable them to join in and to do something that makes sense for them, but in a way that doesn't freak them out. Yeah, that's the thing is you can, if you make those children stand up there and, and you, you've all, you all parents, you've all been to a school thing where somebody bursts into tears, can't do their lines and the parents go, Oh, and it's, it's horrible. And in some ways you think it's a one-off, but actually what you might actually, this is just something which happens every single year mm-hmm. and you're building up trauma in that child. Whereas if you can let them be part of it in their own way, they'll still enjoy this. They will want to do this because they can be part of it in their way. Well, they may be the person who wrote it. Yes. And somebody else says it. That's yes. fine too. You know, that's perfectly okay too. It doesn't have to be at that moment, at that time. As long as they're performing something, maybe they're painting the scenery or, I don't know, creating the baby Jesus out of papier mache or <laughs> whatever. And while we're talking about papier mache, I do want to talk about sensory issues in Christmas because okay. sensory is a big problem. Yes. So some people, absolutely adore bright shiny twinkly colorful it brings them so much joy and they love every minute of it for those people christmas in a shopping center could be amazing and then there's other people who really struggle with that yes and i don't know if they still do this but in when i was young and my kids were younger the Blue Peter used to do, which is a children's television, used to do these dingly dangly hangers. They decorated metal hangers every year with some random thing that had candles on it and lots of tinsel. And there was always this appalling competition for the best dingly dangly hanger decoration that any child had done, of which at least three quarters were done by some poor overstressed parent who was desperate for little Johnny to have something to take in when little Johnny, frankly, would rather have been bouncing on a trampoline or 
doing something totally different. But <laughs> there were these sort of two sets of of decorations. There were those that were clearly not done by children. Yes. And there were those that were clearly done by children. <laughs> and were still sent in however they went. Exactly. But those yes. can be completely overwhelming because they're unstructured, they move in the breeze, they twinkle. For those who are light sensitive, it can actually stab their eyes. It can make them really uncomfortable. And my boy did describe being asked to stay behind in detention so he could pull them all down. They were that painful. <laughs> He's only just confessed this to me. This is years oh. ago. So it's kind of so you know you're asking for trouble if you have those all in an uncontrolled way. So yes, I don't think it's right to say that you should never have anything bright, you should never have anything stimulating, you should never have anything sparkling, but you should have some form of retreat or safe place or calm place where that isn't so busy. Yes, that they can turn and see that means that they can still participate so maybe the dingly dangly twinkly twinkly bit is at the back and they're facing forward to something that's quieter and calmer and it is christmas especially as you're trying to work out what your family looks like for christmas is it is that balance it is always that because that's the thing if, if you made christmas exactly how your child wanted it it could look completely opposite of every other christmas Problem is, as they get older, they're going to have to merge into everyone else's Christmas because that's how life kind of is. And so if you can kind of bring them a couple of steps into, I know you don't want this, but for me, Christmas is about this and I love having this tree and I need this. How can we do the tree that you, that you works with you? You can kind of bring them out from not wanting anything or wanting bear or not wanting music to them kind of understanding that there's compromise on both ways and you can reach a neutral ground that you're both happy with. I could even persuade mine to let me listen to Nat King Cole roasting his chestnuts over an open fire, but only because they're pointing and laughing at the time. <laughs> so a couple of things from my personal experience I just want to mention is pantomimes. Oh, yes. So lots of us love pantomimes. Oh, no, not- we don't. Sorry. She missed the cue Sorry. there. I was a bit I slow saw, on that. I thinking, So most of us like, my daughter doesn't see the point in them. She just finds them horrible, below average plays, which, why is he dressed as a woman? Why are we doing this silly stuff? Why are we stopping halfway through for this? What is any of this? What? And she hates them. We've tried, where we've been to the Hexagon Theatre in Reading, where we had Mr. Tumble part of something we've done somewhere else. We've gone to the big ones with stars in. <laughs> we've done the little ones, which are done by the local drama group, where the acting was really, it was actually really good. And I enjoyed it. And it was their own songs and it was good. And, she hated every single one of them. We've given up on pantomimes, but in a couple of years, we can leave my kids at home and we can go off. Me and my wife can go off. But pantomimes are out, yeah? And there's nothing I can do about pantomimes. That's just done and dusted. And again, I look at what is it I'm enjoying about it, and it's almost like me going back to my childhood. It's That's what's taking me back. It is silly. I know it's coming Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. He's behind. All of that, it's just, it takes me back to being a kid, and that's what I'm enjoying. My daughter doesn't have that same experience. And the other one I just want to squeeze in is 
when you celebrate Christmas, and my, my sister did this, so her, what she realised, what happens on Christmas Day is she, the boys open up, they get their presents from Santa, they open up all their presents, and then about an hour and a half later, or a couple of hours later, my sister goes, right, it's time for Christmas lunch. Stop everything you're doing and have this meal you don't like, which will take us two hours to eat. Mm-hmm. And they're literally going, but the best toys in the world you've just given me and I've had an hour and a half with them and I can't touch them for two hours because I've got to sit and eat. What is even this? What is this? And they didn't like, so my sister first of all started off with what meals does each person want? Yeah. So she literally, someone just wanted sandwiches, but part of the reason they wanted that because it was quick and easy. What she then did is she moved her Christmas day celebration so she could have Christmas in the way kind of she wanted to Christmas Eve such a good idea and lots of cultures celebrate christmas eve rather than christmas day because now they don't have the presents they don't have this sudden i need to get back to this presents i've just got which is the best thing in the world all i can think about they can have their christmas lunch and it has turned into more of a meal that they have together in their way because they haven't got all these pressures so yeah what does it look like and why is going to be different to you but the thing is if you're all having fun that's the best Christmas. Yes. And we were talking earlier about trying to put together the Christmas that made sense for you as a family. Yes. And what routines and what things actually that meant. And for me, that isn't just Christmas Day. That's over the Christmas holidays. So at yeah. some stage, we will, whatever it is that you all like to do. So today, maybe the thing I like to do, tomorrow, maybe the thing you like to do. And we, we sometimes are, it's just things that other people really don't like, but matter to you. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing is, is that's that compromise again. So you're saying to that child is you want to do this, which does nothing for me, but let's go do it. But then you're going to do something for me, which you won't really enjoy, but I hope you will, but it really means something to me. And they can then go and they, 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 they learn to that, they learn that compromise. So there's words of difference between, something that somebody does that they just don't like and don't enjoy or something that actually causes them pain and distress. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. So I would never seek to do something that I enjoyed that would cause my children pain or distress. So I wouldn't necessarily take them somewhere that I thought was a complete sensory overload for them. Yes. But I would drag them out into the countryside for a muddy walk, even if it's the last thing on earth they want to do, because it's important to me. <laughs> yes, kind of, ex- ex- so, exactly that, exactly that. That different uh, thing, I think. Yes. And we, we have a thing where early in December, we kind of draw out a two-week calendar of Christmas. Yeah. So we have Christmas Day, we do this, we go on the 27th, we go and do that. So we have the known things we do every year go on there. But then we're sort of planning out, so we do a thing with gingerbread houses. Mm. When are we going to do that? And we, when are we doing this baking? Right, we need to, and then we, but we also go, right, what exercise are we getting? <laughs> so we actually pencil in, we'll go for a family walk. And, and they hate the family walks. They'd rather go, but we sit there and go, nope, on Boxing Day, we are walking together. And it, they know it's coming and they, and they, Love their parents, but they hate walking with us. I don't know how painful it is working with your parents. It must be so embarrassing. I don't understand, but that's their thing. So we compromise and go, yes, you'll walk with us that day. But as long as you're getting exercise on those days, it's fine. But we build it in. We 
they talk about what food they want. And we try and spread the nice food out. So it's not all in a two day period. And you end up like Homer Simpson at the end, (laughs) which we we just build it in. And it, it gives my, my daughters their choice. It, means that we all generally there's some point of it we we personally don't like but generally others do and that's but that's what makes our christmas christmas because i'm i don't enjoy this but then what happens especially as you get older you see the enjoyment on others which make you enjoy it so there are things i, I can't I can't remember it's things i don't enjoy but i now enjoy them i hate the activity but what i enjoy is seeing everyone else doing it. And one of the things I'd quite like to advise all parents to consider is having a day or time or a little bit of an interlude that doesn't involve family. It's just you and somebody you like doing something different. So I've got the tradition of going out with my my lovely roomie. So this lovely lady that I've sung in choirs with for years and we've shared rooms out on choir tours. We just meet up for a day in between Christmas and New Year. And we both go on a road trip road trip pile into a car go somewhere random have a pub lunch stroll along some seafront or along from one bookshop to another bookshop possibly pick up a nice bit of jewelry that you find somewhere that does it and then go home again having avoided our entire family who we love beyond measure for a whole day it's perfect See, my, my, my visuals of that were a complete journey. Started off with a choir, so I'm going, all oh, quiet and calm. <laughs> then you went, road trip. I'm going, oh, they're going to get drunk. And then, uh, and then it came back down to bookshop and jewellery. So <laughs> I came back down to here again. So that's why a journey, that, that, send, that, that little bit went on. But, yeah, that family, and, yeah, family is important. There is your family that you live with in your house who will learn how you all tick and you will accept each other. And you see that that does cause pain. They cannot do that. And you will see all that and you will not ask them to do those things which cause them pain. And you'll make all those adaptions. And when it's a group four, five, six of you, how many it is, three of you, that will work. But then the tradition is we go to the grandparents for Christmas dinner. We see them on this day and you lose all of that control. You lose every aspect of that. You kind of have to fit in and you might even prompt them as you arrive. Have you done this? But prompting when you arrive, I think is too late. Mm. And Sarah Jane has given me something which is really, really cool to share with you. all. It's in the links about the letter. Yeah. So we do Christmas Day in, in a number of different ways. So we set it up the way we need to. And we had a historical thing of going to visit lots of family. So we did the Royal Progress, because my family live hundreds of miles away from where I live. So for years and years and years, we would do the dropping off presents to everybody in a whole different part of the country where we would go to one person, deal with that, go to another person, deal with that, go to another person, deal with that, go to another person. It was lovely to see them, but actually really, really tricky to manage and this was pre-diagnosis of any sort and we always ended up coming home feeling absolutely strung out and exhausted it's just it was not good and then as we realized that actually there were better ways of doing things we worked out that actually we could just meet them halfway somewhere predictable and do a massive handover and then it would be easier and perfectly straightforward So we then started doing that instead, and that worked really well. 
And I was reflecting on the things that made a difference and the things that don't. And we still go and visit family at other times of year that are less pressured, when we can have a gap before it and a gap after it, where there isn't so much going on, and we can all relax and enjoy it. But this one time was just too pressured for us to do. So I put together a a letter for you, which is basically working out and explaining to other family members what it is that your family needs to do to feel happy, safe, secure, and enjoy the time that you have with them. And it explains that you may need to do things differently and that there's a reason why you're doing things differently. And it's not because you don't love them or you don't want to spend time with them or that they're not important to you. It's because this is how your family needs to work in order for you all to enjoy the time together. So it's there for you to download and tweak and change and edit because it has to be personal to you and your family. And I like that. I, I, was, I was reading it before you came on. It's brilliant. But one thing I just want to touch on, which I've just realised, is when you say to your kids, we're going to go see granny and granddad, mm-hmm. yeah? Your kids will visualise that house. Mm-hmm. They'll visualise what they're going to go see. Yeah. And if they went there in February, it would look like that. If they went there in June, it would look the same. If they went there in July, it would look the same. They go there in October, looks the same. I know what to expect. It's just granny. It's just granddad. It will look like this. This will be what happens. You go there on the 27th of December. The living room is completely different. There are other people in the house because it's not just granny and granddad you're going to go see. It's all your cousins and your aunts and uncles are there. It's a very different, it can be a very different experience, especially if they've gone, we're going to go see granny and granddad's and they've got that, this is how it's going to be and they've arrived and it's not. That can be a very big impact. Mm. And they could literally go, they could have a complete map and you're literally going, but we've just arrived, we're at granny and granddad's. We're not at the granny and granddad's. It's not the granny and granddad's experience I was expecting. We tend not to do big family events. If we can avoid them, we don't do big family events. We divide and conquer. So we'll see one part of the family one time, another part of the family another time, another part of the family another time. The exceptions to those will be big, big family events like weddings, funerals, significant birthdays. And one of the really good ways of dealing with that is to have a particular role to perform. So I don't can't remember if I've talked about this on other podcasts, but my uncle had a significant birthday up in Shropshire. He's a farmer. He had all of his farming friends, people we didn't know, and lots of family there. Some my family were struggling with the whole concept. So we knew where we were going. We knew the house full of people they'd never met for a social event they didn't really want to be at, much as they loved him and yep. would like to be there to support him. It's kind of, yeah, but do we have to? Yes, you do. Actually, this is one of those non-negotiables. You are going to do this. So what we did, and you can do this for Christmas parties as well, it's fantastic, is to have a rule where you go to the social event, you have a job, and your job is to pick up the snacks or to serve the drinks. You walk those around everybody who's there into the kitchen, refresh them, go around, do that twice, say hello to every person, and then you can retire to your PlayStation, your bedroom and your book and your toy because you've seen everybody, you've smiled at everybody, you've been nice and you've been polite and now you're off duty. <laughs> and everyone's seen you. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's a really, my daughters would rather just hide in their room. Yeah. So we just have a thing of come down, not necessarily straight away because there's always hi, hi, hugs and people flying around everywhere and things. Maybe come down 20 minutes later when it's quiet and have that. Mm. And it's just, 
yeah, you might love the big hellos. You might be someone who loves all the hugs and everything. Oh, it's so amazing. But if that is in reality painful for your children, it's mm-hmm. overload, it's this, you've got to stop and you kind of, which is hard for you because that's what you kind of, especially there are people who visualise their Christmas with their family and how it's going to be and have this lovely rose-tinted Tesco advert type of view. And it doesn't always work but it doesn't make it less of a Christmas is if, if you and your kids are all smiling and enjoying it, that is Christmas. And one of the joys of being the person who serves the alcohol to the adults is that normally by the time they've had a couple, they've forgotten that you've escaped and gone off to go and play on your PlayStation instead. So it takes a lot of the pressure off and makes it easier to cope with. So think about the time in the routine that you have that will have the biggest benefit for the people that you're with and the lowest downside for the family that you have so if you have limited capacity like any money where are you going to invest that time and that energy for maximum emotional return and it may not be your emotional return it may be other people's emotional return yeah and it is it's just having a couple of activities which you know go down really well so i mentioned gingerbread houses Mm. earlier what we do is we go out and buy gingerbread house kits yeah yes they're pre-formed items yeah and you get some glue, some basically icing glue. And then we have two chopping boards. We cover in foil paper. And my daughters build one each. We also oh. go out and buy Dolly mixture and jelly babies. And we get to the icing pens. And they decorate the, the houses. Yeah. Not in a competition, but we do. There's lots of what you're doing. Well, that's a good idea. All that goes on. And one of mine's now doing A-levels and she'll still be doing it this year. And we just have fun and the four of us and we're sneaking sweets, which my wife hates. <laughs> we all distract her with all the sweets. So there's lots of that kind of stuff. And then when we're finished, they are allowed to eat as much of the gingerbread house as they can in 30 seconds <laughs> without using their hands. Oh boy, that could go horribly wrong. <laughs> so it's generally very messy. Mm-hmm. It's generally very funny. And we all generally film it and then laugh and cry with laughter and things like that. And then what you've learned is my daughter now kind of makes a pile of sweets on the roof, which is where she's going to bite. Uh-huh. So you now start to see tactics in year four or five. So we, that's one thing. But we always, we find, find a silly game. And one which was lots of fun is cards against family. Oh yeah. Okay. Against family. Do not get yeah. cards against humanity. That's a different no. thing. No, that's very rude. You do not ever want to play that one with your family. That's friends drunk only. Cards Against Family is kind of bad children's jokes type level. But it is sort of like Pinocchio fell over this because will be a question or something. And then you'll have a load of cards which could have silly phrases on. And then kind of what happens is one of you reads out this phrase and then the rest of them find out what would be the funniest ending to that sentence. <laughs> and then they slide the cards over. This is how we play it. Then you read them out and you choose which one made you laugh the most. Oh, I quite like that. That sounds fun. But it is, it's not crude. It's something, I don't think you can even get, it's that sort of tested, but it is, you'll get each child's sense of humour. So that's what's great is the card I would pick for Sarah Jane and the card I might pick for my daughter would be different cards because you kind of learn each other's humour. Mm. And it's things like that and how tied it. So 
but it is just lots of fun. It's a little bit rude, but it's called Cards Against Family. And we've lost an entire evening playing this game. That sounds brilliant. I like the sound of that. And my wife will often disappear and get some hot chocolate and the crisps or the chocolates. And it's just, it's the four of us laughing. Yeah. And they're the things I look forward to at Christmas. Exactly. Yeah? It's more significant to, than any of the other stuff. Yeah. Pantomime is great fun, but the fact my kids don't enjoy it is kind of, I don't want to go myself now because mm. I'd rather be with my kids. Yeah. So gingerbread houses, making peppermint creams, going on that walk and annoying them because they hate it already. It's, and turning it into fun because they because then it turns into a bit of a fight as you're going round. Yeah, it's all those little bits which generally just me, my wife, and my daughters are generally the best bits. Mm. But then we do go, and again, what we've done, as you said, we've spread out the seeing the family. So it's not like we do Christmas Day, then we do Boxing Day. It's we do Christmas Day with some family. We do the twenty seventh with some family. So we have a. A wind down day, which also helps with the food, yeah. but it's also a, ah, oh, it's a relaxing day. Well, the other thing that I wanted to say, particularly at the moment, because lots of people are going to be struggling financially, is that you do not have to have a big, massive blowout. We scaled no. back massively what we cooked and prepped for Christmas, hugely over about the last five, six years. So now we just basically have some form of roast that we all enjoy because that's what we like to eat. And we don't do the big, let's have 16 courses of stuff that actually were still full from breakfast because everyone's full of chocolate. You know, it's, and then you go on to, oh, we've just cleared up from dinner. It must be time for supper with cold cuts and chutney. It's kind of, really? It's just, no, please, I, I, no. I, I always love, and when we're recording this, it's still earlier in the year, it's uh, September, is in the next couple of weeks, the M&S catalogue for food, Christmas food comes out. And I love looking at it, but I also I, I sit there and going, I wish I knew enough people and had enough thing going on in my life that I could actually have some of this. Because we do, we just have a Christmas lunch. We just have a main course. Yeah. And then there'll be some sweet stuff, which we'll do like three hours later. And then it is literally open the fridge later on and go, I'm pretty full, but I want a bit of bread and a bit of turkey or a bit of that. And that's it. And that's our, we don't do lots of food. We do some peppermint creams. We do the gingerbread and that. But apart from that, we just have some things of the food you're not really allowed. Mm. Hence yeah. the chocolate. Chocolate, but cheese is a big one. Mm. So normally throughout the year, we just have cheddar. Right. We just have the good old mature cheddar as our cheese throughout the year. Cause it's just simple. It's expected. You can grate it. You can do this. You get to Christmas. Red Leicester comes out. <laughs> Smoked cheddar. We'll we'll um we'll get the boar sun out. So we just have more variety. It costs a little bit more, but we're not getting big meat. It's generally it's it's crackers and cheese for me all Christmas. And it's all those different things. Get the pickled beetroot out, get the pickled onions out. And it's again for my daughters, is what do you want? Yeah. Just, I'm eating my crackers, you're eating noodles. That's what makes you happy. Make it, it makes you happy. One of my biggest no, joys is actually making braised red cabbage, which is just red cabbage with a bit of sugar and a bit of a few bits of dried fruit in and some onions and a little bit of 
red wine or mulled wine if you feel particularly indulgent. And I'm the only person you, who eats it in our family. We buy ours from Marks and Spencers. I love that red cabbage from Marks and Spencers. It's it's really good. But yeah, it's the same. A couple of things. And what we're interesting is I love the cheese. I don't know why I love the cheese so much. It might be from my parents doing that at Christmas. So what will happen is my kids will go, oh, I fancy that one day. Not all right. And they'll like, they'll like it. And it's like a, it's, it's unthing. They don't eat it when they're young, mm. but it makes them think of their parents so they'll pick it up. Whereas I think sometimes we try and force our kids to pick up the things we do. And you will enjoy this because you will. I think we know There's it doesn't work that way, does it, Dale? No, it just doesn't work. Is My kids will say what they like, what they don't like. And that's that. And it does change over time. They understand why certain things are very nice or not nice or things like that. But it's all about, for everyone listening, finding what Christmas means to your family. Yeah. What makes it fun? Not what makes it look like fun. And not what makes everyone else's expectations of Christmas. What is your Christmas? And we need to talk about the uncertainty of social expectations around presents. Can we talk presents, please? Because presents Presents. are really, really difficult. So there's a whole host of different things that are tricky around Christmas. The uncertain social expectation about do you go to a Christmas party? Are there Christmas parties at school? Are there parties amongst friend groups? Do you get invited to those? If you have a friend, you're doing so is that the sort of thing that you can go or don't want to go because you don't do that sort of thing? But it doesn't mean you don't like the person. If you just don't want to do party, it may just be the party you don't want to do. So you have to kind of work out a way of explaining, I really like you, but I don't like parties and I'd love to go for a walk with you. I'd love to have you around for a play date. I'd love to come to your house at some point, but I don't want to do a party. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciate that, but no. Then there's a whole cards thing. And I think Christmas cards are really difficult in schools because there's kind of, do you give a card to everybody in the class? Do you give a card to teachers? Do you give a card to just your friends? Is there a school post box where you have the social nightmare of, oh, we've got this social post box, so everyone posts all their things in and you're the one person who doesn't get a card because everyone hates you. So I think actually, for me, I would rather the whole postbox thing happened informally outside school rather than inside school, because I think there's enough exclusion without that being a hard-baked part of what happens in classes. Also, there is a big difference, I think, on Christmas cards between boys and girls. Yeah. Girls, my sisters, either people like them and just didn't like me, but my sisters got like five to ten times the amount of cards I would get four or five. My sisters would get 20 to 30. And I'm literally going, there's no one. But, you know, it's just a girl's thing. It's just the girls do more Christmas cards, the boys are playing other stuff. And it doesn't end. I don't know if it's the children aren't asking their parents, I need Christmas cards to send. I have no idea. But I've just, in my experience, there are more cards for girls and women than there are for men. I think it happens that way. I think it's down to social expectation. I think a lot of the social load falls on girls and women, whether they're neurotypical or not. And that means that girls and women tend to write more cards than boys and men. So if you have a boy, 
and a daughter. You have to put son and daughter and explain to the boy, your son. It's not that no one likes him. It's a girl thing. Yeah. Don't let him question that for the next 20 years of his life till he finally goes, oh. <laughs> and we've had. Tell him when he's young. Yeah, we had that the other way around. It's kind of, don't you want to send any cars? No. <laughs> it's kind of a, no, why would I? It's kind of, no. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, yes, cards. Don't even start me on thank you cards. Yeah, we're not going there. Let's just not go there. Don't, no, just pretend. Don't just skip thank you cards. Yeah. Let's just skip them. Because, yes. Just, I'm just going to leave that there. We did have, um, have, I don't know if anybody have ever seen these, but you can get pads of letters that say, dear, and there's a space, thank you for your present money, elephant, whatever. And you just tick the options and you sign it at the end. And it's, it's really lovely. So if you have a family who really insist on having thank you letters, otherwise they think you're being the rudest people in the universe, get one of those tick box options and then your young person can just write the name of the person at the beginning, tick whatever applies, sign it at the end, shove it in an envelope, job done. But also you might find out that actually 90% of people who you give the thank you don't really care. There's a 10%. So what you actually learn is next year, I just have to write two or three thank you letters, not 30. I actually think a phone call and a personal thank you is worth a lot more than something in writing. So, And I also think that stamps are very expensive. So the less things go around the post, the more money in your back pocket. And so yes, a, using up, a phone call. it's using up trees as well. So we don't want to use trees. We don't want to use resources. And we're just going to talk to you on Facebook or by phone. And that would be yes. lovely. And we'll have a conversation with you that can be slightly fuller, but you might want to script for that as well. Dear Auntie so, Doris, uh, thank you for my present. <laughs> I loved it. I'm going to spend it on buying bionicles. I will make the biggest bionicle spre- spreadsheet, spreadsheet, starship in the world, and I will fly it around my bedroom. Love, Josie. Yeah. It's, it's so, yeah. Just work out, is it a realistic expectation doing thank you letters if it's not, skip. <laughs> so can I tell um, you about my be- worst present ever? I tormented well, my children with. You've got something you want to say first. Go. But I say, so is, this, is this a present you got or you gave? Okay. okay, I want to hear your worst, and I'll see if it compares to the worst present I received. So this is evil parent confessions of the week. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> in the days before we realised our children were not neurotypical, we thought a surprise present was a good idea. Okay, I know that those lovely listeners listening to the Sendcast are already shuddering at the concept of a surprise present. I was young, dear listener, and innocent at that point. So I thought that a surprise present would be a good idea. So my lovely husband and I wrapped a list of the things that our children would need to pack in a matchbox, wrapped it in a bigger box, inside those little S-bends, the polystyrene S-bends. This tells you how long ago it was. Inside a bigger box, inside a bigger box, inside a bigger box, and then stuck this humongous box under the tree. And it told them that they were going away. It didn't tell them where to. It didn't tell them how long for. It didn't tell them when they were coming back. It just told them what they needed to take with them. And then we wondered, this was actually for a trip to Centre Parks between Christmas and New Year was lovely but we then wondered why my poor son was literally bouncing off the roof of the car all the way down because he had no idea what we were going to do 
how it was going to work, how long it was going to last, what the the place we we're going to be staying in was like. It took him a day and a half, having landed, unpacked, and worked out where his bedroom was and where everything was to feel safe and secure. Yes. What a mistake to make. <laughs> worst present ever. Go on, then. What was the worst one you had? Ball of string. Okay. And I, I just, I just remember it was in my Santa sack, a ball of string. And I remember finding it going, oh, it must be linked to something else. And it kind of just sat there on my shelf. And I, I was 12 or 13. And I've, it just sat there and I'm still just going, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't. And it just, and it stuck with me. I just didn't understand it. So it wasn't categorically bad and it wasn't like the worst thing it wasn't something disfigured or horrible or gruesome or anything it was just i don't understand a ball of string it was very odd i think that would have had to come either with a whole set of packaging for me or with an instruction card on how to tie 16 different types of knots as an activity that would have been an activity yes i was looking for something yeah even if you printed it off the internet you know or written down I didn't have, I didn't use string. It wasn't like, oh, he's probably run out of string. I'll get him. It wasn't, no, it was just this really random, random thing. But yeah, presents. Let's talk about presents. So obviously, you know your children. Don't do surprise. You kind of know what you're going to do. You're going to know the wrapping paper for your child. That Yeah, within your family, life is good. Not quite. What? There's more. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a thing where we don't do surprise presents anymore. We don't do unplanned presents. We ask people what they want and we get them what they want. So you don't have the, what I really, really want is, and am I ever going to get it? There's none of that awful thing. And you do have the, I really, really want this particular thing. And I know that that's going to turn up. Often we'll get them to choose it. We have been known to get them to wrap it. I know some families where they will actually wrap things in cellophane instead of wrapping them in wrapping paper so that it's visible and they can see what is actually coming and they know at what time that's going to be opened and that's okay. My lovely husband, who is also on the spectrum, opened all of his presents and rewrapped them so he would know what was coming up. Wow. That's the thing is what you think is normal isn't normal for everyone and it's comes back to what works for you uh, we had that thing you asked my daughters what they want for christmas they couldn't really answer mm-hmm. so what we used to do is we used to go down to toys r us or smiths one daughter would have my phone mm-hmm. my, the other daughter had my wife's phone and they'll go around and take photos of the things they want because that's something they literally go, what do you want it's very abstract what do you want in a toy shop? Well, that's really quite obvious. And they would take all the photos and you literally go, great. And we would go back a week later and chuck half of it in the trolley job. It was quite a simple process. And then my daughters who they didn't know, they'd chosen 20 things, 10, however many it was. And they're going to get something from that list, which again, helped with those expectations. We kind of, new and some stuff we go you think you want that but we probably rub we did all those but they gave us these sorts of things and that worked really well for us and it takes a lot of the stress out of it for the adults as well so then the only stress you have is whether you can actually get hold of that 
whether you can afford to buy it, if it's something that's doable, if it's something that you think will be safe and appropriate and all that sort of thing. You know, presents are a really difficult thing for parents to do. And I'm very aware that there'll be people out there who can't do what they would like to do for their children because it's just not doable. But as somebody who's had children around for a long time, normally there's one thing that they really, really like. And the 15 other things you may think that they needed, they neither really need nor want. No. It's, it's generally there's one thing which hooks them, and that's them hooked for that. For others, or presence from others, is a huge minefield. It is just hard work. I personally, we, we just took as a thing as a family, send some vouchers, send some money. Mm. Yeah, because if your child is particular, yeah, and they literally, and and a previous podcast we talked about autistic truth. Yes, you might put in a lot of effort. You get this thing which they think every other child loves this, so I've bought it for them, and you give it to them, they unwrap it, and they look at you and go, what is this? <laughs> That's not rudeness from their point of view. They've looked at you and gone, why would you think I'd, what? Just say it as it is, and that person can get really offended. Yeah. So unless you have specifically asked the parents, what can I get? Yeah. Don't get something. Don't just choose something randomly. Get advice. If you are a parent of of children with SEND and no one's asking you, share that. <laughs> I think these yes. things can be really, really difficult. And I think it's one of those things where different families have different ways of doing things. Yeah. And I am seeing far more people who have made a positive decision to not exchange presents with anyone outside their immediate family. Yes. And I think that's a perfectly appropriate thing to do in this day and age, as long as everyone knows up front, in advance, that's what you're going to do. We, we more or less just send £20 note, which cross in the post. Yeah, I have a bit of an issue with. I just don't get the logic of that at all. I just think we, people go, "Well, I've got to." It's just saying I've got to give something. Like they're going, but but my child is very specific, and you, whatever you buy, they might not like, and whatever you, it, it gets very complicated. So we'd rather not. But I want to do something, but it's like we'll give twenty. But it's literally like you're just swapping twenty pound notes yeah. in the post. So I think we we've got to the point of going. Let's stop. Yeah. And it's not that you don't care. It's not that is we don't want you to buy something which they look at and go, well, what is that? And then we just literally, the next thing we do is take it to the charity shop. Yeah. And you may be struggling to buy something for somebody who doesn't want it. And that's not good. That's not good for you. And it's not good for, it does nothing for them. And it's not good for you. And yeah, some children are really easy. Yeah. You literally go to Disney store, go to the frozen section. That's not in Disney, it's not in Iceland. Go to the frozen section in the Disney store, buy something with Elsa Rana on it, take it, and that child will be very happy. The next child, it would have to be a very specific thing. It would have to be that. It's the texture. It's the feeling. So she loves Anna, but the this on this is very crinkly, and I don't like that texture. It's gone. And it's 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 so, for some reason, it's so precise what they need that, and you may have tried really hard to find that, but there might have been some bit of information you didn't know and then what you've done is you've put amazing effort and you've tried everything and the child still doesn't like, that's not great for either of you. And 
you're trying to do the right, you're trying to be nice, you're trying to do all this stuff, but it can go wrong. It's it's really much better to find out. And as we said, sort of get the child to choose. I would love this. And they've gone and tested it mm-hmm. almost felt the honor. I'm going to, that's the one I want. Take a photo of it. I'm in the Disney shop, get this one. Then, you know, and yes, the parents, some grandparents have a thing. Well, I want to, I want to choose something for me. And that's lovely, but that's not necessarily what the child wants. So the question then is who's the present for? Is the present for the giver or is the present for the receiver? And we just need to think about that yes. and be clear about what we're doing. And some people will need to do that to express their love and care and affection. And sometimes the price of that is a child having something they don't want. <laughs> it's kind of, yes. and if it happens to Who's... come from great auntie Doris and great auntie Doris is always going to do it that way, then, you know, great auntie Doris always sends the weirdest presents. It's like that bit in Bridget Jones's diary with the appalling sweaters. You know, it's kind of, every family has something like that somewhere. But sometimes what also happens if when Auntie Doris is in that really with sweater for the fourth year running, the fifth year, as you get to these presents, you all give yourselves a look and go, how bad can this, how bad is it going to be this year? And it can actually get quite funny. Might not what Doris intends, but it her presents do bring lots of joy in our family because they're so bad. It's hilarious. It's a bonding experience and that's what it's yeah. all about, really. It is. So I love the thought of presence, and I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to put some certainty into the process in a way that is respectful and still keeps opportunities for joy in there. Yeah. And and, and you you might look at your child unwrapping presence and think the words greedy and ungrateful. Yeah. We've probably all watched one of our children unwrap presence and go and almost toss it aside and move straight on to the next. And you're thinking, back in my day, <laughs> back in my day. And that is perspective, which your children will never have. But a present is always a great thing. Yeah. If you're getting a present, it should be an amazing thing. That's what you kind of get in your head. Yeah. You watch it on TV. They open up a present. It's a PlayStation. They open a present. It's an Xbox. You get a present. It's a pair of socks again. You get a present. It's, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> Where's my amazing present? And that's, it's not a rude thing. It's a really subconscious thing of, I want to see all my presents. I want to get to the best one. It's the way their work and their heads work and the way they're perceiving it and what's going on in their head is not what you're thinking. And presents can be really overwhelming as well. I remember very clearly there was one Christmas where we, we started opening things and then there was basically carnage. There was just presents being ripped open. It didn't matter who they were for. My poor child, who was, I think, about three or four, was had just literally dived into this pile of presents, assumed they're all for them, and started shredding everything. You know, shredded one thing, threw it on one side, shredded something else, threw it on one side, shredded the third thing, threw it on one side. Had no clue what was going on and completely lost the plot and then burst into floods of tears because it was all too much. So we actually learnt then that you present a lot fewer and you spread them out. There's nothing wrong with having, if you're in a huge family and you happen to have the one grandchild and everybody decides they have to give the present to the first grandchild in this family, then by all means spread it out over the whole of the holidays and do a present or two presents a day. Hmm, yeah. That's quite nice because you've got time to enjoy it. Yes. And it is, it's, yeah, it gets confusing. It gets things. And, 
Yeah, that whole ripping apart is uh, my family. It was almost like when I was growing up, it was like, go. And you all unwrapped your own presence. Yeah, you didn't see what anyone else did. You just went through your pile as quick as you can and kind of observed your haul. What did I get? And that was Christmas over. My wife's family is somebody will hand out a present. That one person will unwrap. Now we'll all see what it is. And that person would actually then have the opportunity to say thank you to the person who got it. So it gives you a sense of it, you bring things down. It kind of helps that manicness because it's one present at a time. And there's lots of little things that just can make or break Christmas. But it's patience and understanding and not judging can be hard for you as a parent. And also the present you might have spent lots on might get discarded. Mm. The present you spent 10p on might be loved. One of the times I made my children cry with a present is I bought them Lego. And they didn't like it. They didn't understand what it was. It was, so they literally burst, they'd rather had a cuddly from the shop. Got sharp edges. What's this for? We've now spent probably four Figures on Lego over all these years in reality with all those different Hogwarts kits or this That's kit. That's just your collection, or... Dale. <laughs> but you can spend, and we have, and we have so many boxes. We've kept all the instructions. We've got it all. We've got, yeah, you just spend. But that first interaction with Lego, they burst into tears. They didn't understand it. So this is a, the one moment for me to mention one of the most important things to keep in Christmas is a place of sanctuary, a place that's quiet, that's understated, that's predictable, it's calm, it's consistent, and it's with a trusted person. And you can take that with you wherever you are, whether it's a a pop-up blackout tent or just sitting in the car with chosen music if you're on the road, or if it's at school, you can have a quiet classroom or maybe in the classroom when everybody else has gone down to the church or you know whatever there is always a place and it's really important to have that sense of sanctuary of somewhere safe to go to when we do decorations we are actually very minimal and we don't decorate the whole house and we only put out one a day so the christmas tree goes up in a flurry of child activity i have nothing to do with it because they accuse me of being a bit over controlling so i i tell them they need to get on with it and i'll come and enjoy it afterwards and tweak where the bits go <laughs> but but very little else actually gets put up and then it comes down day by day so we can gradually get back to a sense of normal as we go through to yeah. night so just thinking about how to make that safe and quiet and calm and while we're talking about safe and quiet and calm, can I talk to you a little bit about some of the lovely relaxed performances that people might enjoy going to? Yes. Got to be quick because we've been talking a very yeah, long I'm time. Yeah, I'm so sorry, people. <laughs> we always do, though. I'm blaming Dale. So there's a whole host of different relaxed performances that you can do now. You can get to relaxed performances in the cinema where they put the lights up, they turn the sound down, you're allowed to wander in and out, and there are places where you can go to be quiet. They're lovely. But there are lots also of really nice performances in theatres, live performances with real people doing real stuff. And one of the particular things, you were talking about your pantos, Dale, and some yeah. places will do relaxed panto performances and some people love pantos because you know what you're going to get and it's the same stuff and it may be weird, but it's always the same pattern, same type of weird. Yeah. But 
what they can do. I've got a lovely friend who takes a group of young people off to the panto and they have the most fun. They are the people in the entire theatre who are having the most fun at that event. And it's really lovely to be able to go and do that as a group. So don't automatically think you can't. If you're looking for an activity, I would suggest relaxed performances are the way to go. If you're not sure if your young person will like it, if you're doing a school event or a school outing, please make it a relaxed performance, not a not relaxed performance, and somebody who can go with the young person. So what that means in terms of a performance in the theatre is they'll have an open door policy. Lots of theatres will even have a quiet place that you can go to that's supervised where you can just take time out, chill out, and then go back. There was an absolutely wonderful thing that I saw. The English National Opera, of all people, have both a visual story for what happens throughout their opera, and that describes what content warnings there might be if somebody is going to be, if there were mention of suicide or harm or death or bereavement, they'd put a content warning at that particular time stamp in the list. It explained the plot. It explained who was doing what. It explained what noises might be happening. If there's going to be an explosion or a gun or some really loud singing or loud drums. And it talked you through the whole of that. And it gave you pictures of the theatre. It gave you pictures of the production. It gave you pictures of who was going to be performing what in each roles. It showed you who all the main actors were going to be and gave you their background. And it also introduced you to the orchestra up front and so that you knew the noises each of the orchestra things made. And on top of that, this is the best example I've ever seen, they had Sonic Story as well. So they had this diagram that explained at what point throughout the performance different noises would happen and how loud it was going to be and how quiet it was going to be relatively going through the performance from Act 1 and Act 2, you know, the, you'll have the overture and it's going to be this loud and then there'll be applause and it'll be this loud and then there'll be people talking and it'll be quieter and then there'll be a gap and then you'll start to again. And, and it took you through all of that in a really lovely visual way. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And then another one that I found, which I really, really loved, was the, uh, the Old Vic. And the Old yeah. Vic Theatre in London has an accessibility film that walks you through the whole of the theatre and not only tells you where everything is and explains how there's a wonderful door to go through. It's not kind of like going up some back door where you're the sort of third-rate person. This is every bit as lovely as the main entrance. But it also showed you around where the toilets were and where the bars were and showed you how to find your way from there into the main auditorium on step-free access where the lifts were but also it shows you that film and then put people back into the film so it showed it you empty so you could see where everything was and then it showed it you with people in the bar so you could get an idea for the sort of hubbub and the sort of sound that it would make when there were actually people in that space not just that empty space and then you get there and you suddenly think it's loud it gave you that on the film. It was just brilliant. And they did everything from taking you in that film into the auditorium and then hearing people sit down and explain how it was going to start getting louder as people were talking and the sort of things they were talking about. Fantastic. Absolutely love it. If only 
we could think about our school events in the same way that some of these theatres are now thinking about accessibility, we would be rocking it. It was amazing. Sarah Jane's given me links to loads of the relaxed performances and the old Vic and relaxed performances across the whole of London and other places. So they're in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you can, you can go straight into show notes and click on those links and go have a look. What I want to end on, which I've only just remembered and involves presence again. So I'm just going back to presence, but I need to mention this and it's two things. One batteries. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> batteries. Make sure you have the batteries. And the second one, is some toys they are if you go into a toy shop they love to display it so the toys on show yeah so you can look at the box and you see it what that generally means is that they've got lots of twisty things or they're screwed in from behind so they can be in that brilliant position which means when your child opens it it's going to take you about five minutes to either undo all the twisty things, to cut them out, to get the screwdriver out and undo it. So my advice is before you wrap it up, open that toy, take off all those twizzly bits, undo all those screws, get it out. So literally open the box and the toy is in your hand in about two seconds flat and then put the batteries in. Yeah. So that when your child opens that toy, you're not going to go, I'll go get the screwdriver and check I've got the batteries. <laughs> and then they're literally as bouncing around the room while you're spending 10 minutes undoing this thing while everything else is going on. You feel you can just open it and the toy is ready and they're off. Yeah, so batteries and taking some of these things apart, yeah, in the packaging so it is really easy to get to. You might even go, I've got to build this. Go read how to build it. Go watch a YouTube video on how to put it together, how it works, especially if you've got a flying Tinkerbell thing, whatever it is, just go find out how it works. So when it comes to it and you're also going, how does this work? You're going, you do this. Yeah. You're not going to go, what what goes, be prepared. And that is one thing I learned from having a couple of Christmases. I'm not doing that to getting very stressful daughters to then going, I'm not going through that again and making that change. It was hugely different. It's, we literally didn't get to no tantrums, but more or less we got from having various things and going on and then me getting grumpy with them. It's Christmas. How can you be grumpy at Christmas? Comes out from you as a parent. You don't mean to be, but you're ruining my Christmas. Type attitude comes out of you because we should be just having fun. So actually you've just given me an amazing toy and you can't play with it yet. Just changing that thing, completely thinking, well, why are you upset? realizing again well let's change that let's just change it and make it better yeah and if in doubt and you can't go out and you're struggling go back to a familiar film something you've loved i mean for us it's always we do rapping to the slipper in the rose which is a very very old musical which is one of our lovely parts of christmas for other people they like die hard as their christmas film but you know die hard is is there's no question die hard is a christmas and there film. are others that are obviously clearly more child appropriate <laughs> but you know yes. pick something that your child loves for years and years it was noddy videos in our household so you know you pick something that is safe secure predictable they've seen before it's their downtime it's a safe place to go it's that sanctuary moment and you can make that yes. at low cost or no cost irrespective of all the other malarkey that's happening around you. 
Yes. That's thing you can literally, you can schedule it in. Let's watch this film at this time with popcorn or sweets or whatever. And then you've literally got, they're looking forward to it and it is great. So thank you for coming to the show today, Sarah Jane. Really enjoyed it. Lots of things I hadn't thought about in there as well. I learned all about the orange and the candle in the Chris Dingle service. <laughs> I can now pass that information on. Sarah, so Sarah Jane's given me loads of links. That's a letter for, other, for your families. Apparently she's going to give me a video to the top five Christmas yep. fails and there are loads of relaxed things. Um, so wherever you listen to this podcast, go into the show notes. You'll find all of that there. Or you'll find all the show notes on the Sendcast website, which is www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on all the social medias on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're just the Sendcast, and you'll find it. And just to mention B Squared is if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you want to see what's available from us, have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through what we do. We have a huge range of assessment products for schools in Scotland, England and Wales. And if you're struggling to show progress for people's working out of year group, if you've got people on the engagement model, if you don't know how to assess after the development, any of that, you just need to know how can I show progress, get in contact. You can find out all about our online training, our conferences. You can read our blog, watch our webinars. It's all on the B Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website to book a meeting with me and my email address in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. Survive Christmas. Turn it into Christmas that makes sense for you. Yeah, not that Christmas, your Christmas. And yes, have fun and survive And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me, wishing you a very happy and peaceful season whenever and however you choose to do it.